This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit www.librivox.org. Washington Square by Henry James. Read for LibriVox by Dawn Murphy in El Segundo, California. Chapter 2 when the child was about ten years old, he invited his sister, Mrs. Pennyman, to come and stay with him. The Miss Slopers had been but two in number, and both of them had married early in life. The younger, Mrs. Almond by name, was the wife of a prosperous merchant and the mother of a blooming family. She bloomed herself, indeed, and was a comely, comfortable, reasonable woman, and a favorite with her clever brother, who, in the matter of women, even when they were nearly related to him, was a man of distinct preferences. He preferred Mrs. Almond to his sister Lavinia, who had married a poor clergyman of a sickly constitution and a flowery style of eloquence, and then, at the age of thirty-three, had been left a widow without children, without fortune, with nothing but the memory of Mr. Pennyman's flowers of speech, a certain vague aroma of which hovered about her own conversation. Nevertheless, he had offered her a home under his own roof, which Lavinia accepted with the alacrity of a woman who had spent the ten years of her married life in the town of Poughkeepsie. The doctor had not proposed to Mrs. Pennyman to come and live with him indefinitely. He had suggested that she should make an asylum of his home while she looked about for unfurnished lodgings. It is uncertain whether Mrs. Pennyman ever instituted a search for unfurnished lodgings, but it is beyond dispute that she never found them. She settled herself with her brother and never went away, and, when Catherine was twenty years old, her aunt Lavinia was still one of the most striking features of her immediate entourage. Mrs. Pennyman's own account of the matter was that she had remained to take charge of her niece's education. She had given this account, at least, to every one but the doctor, who never asked for explanations which he could entertain himself any day with inventing. Mrs. Pennyman, moreover, though she had a good deal of a certain sort of artificial assurance, shrunk, for indefinable reasons, from presenting herself to her brother as a fountain of instruction. She had not a high sense of humour, but she had enough to prevent her from making this mistake, and her brother, on his side, had enough to excuse her in her situation for laying him under contribution during a considerable part of a lifetime. He, therefore, assented tacitly to the proposition which Mrs. Pennyman had tacitly laid down, that it was of importance that the poor motherless girl should have a brilliant woman near her. His assent could only be tacit, for he had never been dazzled by his sister's intellectual luster. Even when he fell in love with Catherine Harrington, he had never been dazzled, indeed, by any feminine characteristics whatever, and though he was to a certain extent what is called a ladies' doctor, his private opinion of the more complicated sex was not exalted. 
He regarded its complications as more curious than edifying, and he had an idea of the beauty of reason, which was, on the whole, meagerly gratified by what he observed in his female patients. His wife had been a reasonable woman, but she was a bright exception. Among several things that he was sure of, this was perhaps the principle. Such a conviction, of course, did little either to mitigate or to abbreviate his widowhood, and it set a limit to his recognition, at the best, of Catherine's possibilities and of Mrs. Pennyman's ministrations. He nevertheless, at the end of six months, accepted his sister's permanent presence as an accomplished fact, and as Catherine grew older, perceived that there were in effect good reasons why she should have a companion of her own imperfect sex. He was extremely polite to Lavinia, scrupulously, formally polite, and she had never seen him in anger but once in her life, when he lost his temper in a theological discussion with her late husband. With her he never discussed theology, nor, indeed, discussed anything. He contented himself making known, very distinctly, in the form of a lucid ultimatum, his wishes with regard to Catherine. Once, when the girl was about twelve years old, he had said to her, "'Try and make a clever woman of her, Lavinia. I should like her to be a clever woman.' Mrs. Pennyman, at this, looked thoughtful a moment. "'My dear Austin,' she then inquired, "'do you think it is better to be clever than to be good?' "'Good for what?' asked the doctor. "'You are good for nothing unless you are clever.' From this assertion Mrs. Pennyman saw no reason to dissent. She possibly reflected that her own great use in the world was owing to her aptitude for many things. "'Of course I wish Catherine to be good.' the doctor said the next day, but she won't be any less virtuous for not being a fool. I am not afraid of her being wicked. She will never have the salt of malice in her character. She is as good as good bread, as the French say, but six years hence I won't want to have to compare her to good bread and butter. Are you afraid she will be insipid? My dear brother, it is I who supply the butter, so you needn't fear said Mrs. Pennyman, who had taken in hand the child's accomplishments, overlooking her at the piano, where Catherine displayed a certain talent, and going with her to the dancing-class, where it must be confessed that she made but a modest figure. Mrs. Pennyman was a tall, thin, fair, rather faded woman, with a perfectly amiable disposition, a high standard of gentility, a taste for light literature, and a certain foolish indirectness and obliquity of character. She was romantic, she was sentimental, she had a passion for little secrets and mysteries, a very innocent passion, for her secrets had hitherto always been as unpractical as adult eggs. She was not absolutely virtuous, but this defect was of no great consequence, for she had never had anything to conceal. She would have liked to have a lover, and to correspond with him under an assumed name, in letters left at a shop. I am bound to say that her imagination never carried the intimacy further than this. Mrs. Pennyman had never had a lover, but her brother, who was very shrewd, understood her turn of mind. 
"'When Catherine is about seventeen, he said to himself, "'Lavinia will try and persuade her that some young man with a moustache is in love with her. "'It will be quite untrue. "'No young man with a moustache or without will ever be in love with Catherine. "'But Lavinia will take it up and talk to her about it, "'perhaps even if her taste for clandestine operations doesn't prevail with her, "'she will talk to me about it. Catherine won't see it, and won't believe it. Fortunately for her peace of mind, poor Catherine isn't romantic. She was a healthy, well-grown child, without a trace of her mother's beauty. She was not ugly. She had simply a plain, dull, gentle countenance. The most that had ever been said for her was that she had a nice face and though she was an heiress no one had ever thought of regarding her as a belle her father's opinion of her moral purity was abundantly justified she was excellently imperturbably good affectionate docile obedient and much addicted to speaking the truth in her younger years she was a good deal of a romp and though it is an awkward confession to make about one's heroine i must add that she was something of a glutton she never that i know of stole raisins out of the pantry but she devoted her pocket-money to the purchase of cream-cakes as regards this however a critical attitude would be inconsistent with a candid reference to the early annals of any biographer Catherine was decidedly not clever. She was not quick with her book, nor indeed with anything else. She was not abnormally deficient, and she mustered learning enough to acquit herself respectably in conversation with her contemporaries, among whom it must be avowed, however, that she occupied a secondary place. It is well known that in New York it is possible for a young girl to occupy a primary one. Catherine, who was extremely modest, had no desire to shine, and on most social occasions, as they are called, you would have found her lurking in the background. She was extremely fond of her father, and very much afraid of him. She thought him the cleverest and handsomest and most celebrated of men. The poor girl found her account so completely in the exercise of her affections that the little tremor of fear that mixed itself with her filial passion gave the thing an extra relish rather than blunted its edge. Her deepest desire was to please him, and her conception of happiness was to know that she had succeeded in pleasing him. She had never succeeded beyond a certain point though on the whole he was very kind to her, she was perfectly aware of this, and to go beyond the point in question seemed to her really something to live for. What she could not know, of course, was that she disappointed him, though on three or four occasions the doctor had been almost frank about this, she grew up peacefully and prosperously, but at the age of eighteen Mrs. Pennyman had not made a clever woman of her. Dr. Sloper would have liked to be proud of his daughter, but there was nothing to be proud of in poor Catherine. There was nothing, of course, to be ashamed of, but this was not enough for the doctor, who was a proud man and would have enjoyed being able to think of his daughter as an unusual girl. There would have been a fitness in her being pretty and graceful, intelligent and distinguished, 
for her mother had been the most charming woman of her little day, and as regards her father, of course he knew his own value. He had moments of irritation at having produced a commonplace child, and he even went so far at times as to take a certain satisfaction in the thought that his wife had not lived to find her out. He was naturally slow in making this discovery himself, and it was not till Catherine had become a young lady grown that he regarded the matter as settled. He gave her the benefit of a great many doubts. He was in no haste to conclude. Mrs. Pennyman frequently assured him that his daughter had a delightful nature, but he knew how to interpret this assurance. It meant, to his sense, that Catherine was not wise enough to discover that her aunt was a goose, a limitation of mind that could not fail to be agreeable to Mrs. Pennyman. Both she and her brother, however, exaggerated the young girl's limitations. For Catherine, though she was very fond of her aunt, and conscious of the gratitude she owed her, regarded her without a particle of that gentle dread which gave its stamp to her admiration of her father. To her mind there was nothing of the infinite about Mrs. Pennyman. Catherine saw her all at once, as it were, and was not dazzled by the apparition whereas her father's great faculties seemed, as they stretched away, to lose themselves in a sort of luminous vagueness, which indicated not that they stopped, but that Catherine's own mind ceased to follow them. It must not be supposed that Dr. Sloper visited his disappointment upon the poor girl, or ever let her suspect that she had played him a trick. On the contrary, for fear of being unjust to her, he did his duty with exemplary zeal, and recognized that she was a faithful and affectionate child. Besides, he was a philosopher, he smoked a good many cigars over his disappointment, and in the fullness of time he got used to it. He satisfied himself that he had expected nothing, though indeed with a certain oddity of reasoning. "'I expect nothing,' he said to himself so that, if she gives me a surprise, it will be all clear gain. If she doesn't, it will be no loss. This was about the time Catherine had reached her eighteenth year, so that it will be seen her father had not been precipitate. At this time she seemed not only incapable of giving surprises, it was almost a question whether she could have received one. She was so quiet and irresponsive, People who expressed themselves roughly called her stolid, but she was irresponsive because she was shy, uncomfortably, painfully shy. This was not always understood, and she sometimes produced an impression of insensibility. In reality, she was the softest creature in the world. End of chapter 2 This has been a LibriVox recording of Washington Square. A novel by Henry James, read for LibriVox by Don Murphy, in El Segundo, California, January 2007.